and welcome to First Baptist Jackson. If things seem a little bit off lately, it's probably because they are, right? We're not able to do everything that we're used to being able to do together on Sunday mornings here at the church. But I also don't know if we fully grasp how blessed we are to live in a time when we have the technology to do almost everything we're used to doing right at home, on our couch, with our families. Today I'm going to help, hopefully help guide you through some of the things that we can do online. If it's been a little challenging to find some of the resources available, that's what I'm going to help you with today. The first thing we're used to doing, of course, when we think of church, we think of worship, the sermon, we think of everything that goes on in the normal Sunday morning service, right? So the first thing we're going to do, I'm going to walk you through how to get to our live stream on our YouTube channel. So the first thing you're going to want to do is open up your browser. I'm going to be showing you the hardest way to do it first. You'll go to youtube.com up top. There we go. And you'll type First Baptist Church of Jackson. Missouri. Alright, as you can see, we are not the first, second, or 18th option for First Baptist Church of Jackson. So, I'm going to show you a slightly better, more direct way. When you open your first window, you're going to go to our website, which is fbcj.us, hit enter, X out of this informational box, that comes up. Scroll down to find our live stream. It's one of the first buttons you'll see. And you can take you directly to our YouTube channel. Right around here is where there's going to be the live video when it goes live. And it'll automatically post. And that's it. Alright, well that didn't seem too hard. The second thing we're used to doing on Sunday mornings is attending our Sunday morning Bible studies. Now what we have is a feature called Zoom where we can meet together throughout the week. Let me show you how to do that. So once again, I'm gonna go down to my browser, open it up, I'm using Google Chrome, and at the very top, you'll type Zoom, Z-O-O-M U-S, and hit enter. That will take you to the Zoom website. Over on the right, where it says sign up, it's free. You're gonna click that button. Now, I've already done that, but you'll set up your account. I'm gonna sign in. There I'll put my email address that I set up and my password. Then I'm going to sign in. Once you've signed in, you're going to see your profile. Now you can do anything you need to do from here. You can schedule meetings, you can join meetings, they've got all of your information here. The easiest and best thing moving forward though for you to do is go up to where it says resources and download the Zoom client. That's what I did. So do that make sure it gets installed and then what you can do is open up that client zoom.us I've got the little icon here and from here it's gonna be the easiest most streamlined way to make new meetings join meetings schedule meetings do all kinds of stuff this is where you'll want to be when we start our Bible studies streaming and that's about it still with me Alright, there's one more thing that we're used to doing on Sunday morning, and that's giving of our tithes and our offerings. This is the easiest part of them all, so let me show you how to do that. Okay, last thing, what do we do? You guessed it, open our browser. 
I go up to the top and type in our website, which is fbcj.us. Hit enter. This will take you to a very familiar page. You can X out of this notice. I do encourage you to read that at some point. Go to where it says love and just go right down to give online. Now you don't have to click love, you just hover over it. And it'll show you all those options. Once you're set up for online giving, you just fill out the appropriate boxes. You can click here to change it to um, give by check. Sometimes there will be extra funds that you can give towards, but generally it goes to the general fund. And that's it. You just give right from here. It's very easy, very fast. And that's about it. Again, we are so blessed to live in a time and have the resources to have all this technology around us to be able to really experience as much church as possible during this trying time. If you have any questions on how to do any of this stuff, you can text me, Daniel. Um, my number is below, and I will be more than happy to help you set this stuff up. We have so many resources available, and really there's no reason we can't join together on Sunday mornings from your own living room to be able to do all of these things together at the same time as a body of believers. So thank you so much for watching. I hope this has helped you, and um, I look forward to seeing you in person as soon as possible. Thank you. Jackson. We're so thankful that you came to join us online today, and we pray that this will be a wonderful experience for all of us as we worship our most heavenly, our most gracious and mighty God. My name is Jeff Reed, and I'm here today filling in for our, worship, our pastor of worship and media, Daniel Lawson, and uh, he's been sick today, but uh, we're thankful that you are here with us. As we come together today, I know we're spread out, and this is different for us, too. Um, let's just uh, take a moment to pray and devote this time to our Lord. Father God, we thank you. Thank you that through technology, even though we're spread apart all over Jackson and Cape Girardeau and Lord and other places, Lord, we, we come to you and we acknowledge your sovereignty. Lord, we, we come to you and know that, Lord, even for times such as this, Lord, you, you've uh, given us strength and, Lord, reminded us of who you are. Lord, you are ever sovereign. You are forever powerful. And, Lord, we come to you today just devoting ourselves to you and praying that your Holy Spirit would join us through whatever media we are looking up together, uh, joining up together, Lord, in worship. Lord, we thank you for this time and devote this time to you. We pray that you'd move in our hearts, our minds, our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8.31 says, In view of all these things of God's love, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us?
answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming, has already come, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And indeed Jesus did. By his death on the cross, he overcame the world. He is our triumphant king. Let us come and humbly worship him.
speak to us. May we have the urge to obey. Change us, Lord, for your glory. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, this is normally where we have our offertory. And just want to encourage you. We've gone over different ways that you can give online. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for all the people who brought their offerings to the church. Uh, we sent you a, a letter, and uh, you should have already received it, had an offering envelope in it. And if you would like to continue to see uh, receive our bulletin and the notes of the sermon and offering envelopes and so forth in the, in the mail, um, I put a little place where you could check that. If you did not get a letter from us, and that means we don't have your address. So if you call the church office this week or, or send us a message or somehow uh, or mail us a letter, let us know that we don't have your address and we'd be glad to add you to the mailing list. If you are, thank you, such a great guy. If you are, um, if you are able to give online though, now would be a great time to do that. We really would love for you to get into the routine uh, when we have our online worship services and we take this moment, pray for our offering, that this would be a time when you could just go online. If, you're, if you are savvy enough to do text giving, you can just have your phone right there. And if you have that in your contacts, that text giving number, uh, then you could just push that contact, type in the number uh, that you, for the amount of your offering, press send, and, and done. Just uh, if you want to pass the phone around the room to give the effect of taking up the offering, that's okay. But, uh, but anyway, this is just, these are things we're having to learn to do. The most important thing I remind you of is how important it is for us to continue to give. Because the ministries that we support through our offerings, like the Cooperative Program, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, taking care of all of our different ministries and so forth, all that continues to go on. And during a time of crisis, the need is greater than ever. So if you would just continue to, to give as God would lead you to give and, uh, and utilize those things. And if we can help you in any way, make that easier for you. Um, we'd be glad to do that. But let me pray for, and ask the blessing on our offering and, uh, and, then, and then give as God would lead. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Lord, I miss uh, our guys, our deacons, and different guys who would come up and, and pray for our offertory. Lord, I, I just pray that you would restore those days. Sometimes you don't know how amazing the things are until we don't have them anymore. Lord, I miss our sense of community when we're all gathered here together. Lord, I thank you, though, that the church is so much greater than that. I thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, even when we are apart, Lord, we are connected through you, connected by your spirit. Thank you for the resources we have, Lord. Thank you for how you've blessed us. Lord, may this be a time when we look after one another, and may you bless our offerings. Thank you for, Lord, your giving church. I just thank you for the generosity of this church in particular, and Lord, how people continue to give sacrificially, even in uncertain times. And, Lord, may you bless the offering. May you take what we give and do great things with it, Lord. We give it to you for your glory, for you to do your will. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We need a theme song. <gasps> do you actually, is it okay if we actually sing a theme song? We're doing the talk show with Jocelyn and Jocelyn. Discussing the four ways to give. You can give today. Word. I thought she had an idea. <laughs> no, we need an intro. We need to like spin in. 
Welcome to the Jocelyn and Jocelyn show. I'm Jocelyn. And I'm Jocelyn. Jocelyn, have you given your offering today? Not yet. How many ways can you give? Do you know? Four. Four? Yeah. What are they? Well, one of them (laughs) is in person. In person? Mm Mm-hmm. What? People still do it? I still do it. It's fine. What about online? Because I'm Mm -hmm. all about the typing. Yeah, you can go online, too. On your your phone? Mm Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't you just use the app, then? Well, that's another option. The app is out now? Yeah. You can text. Text? Yeah. You can text your offering. I don't really text anybody because I don't have friends, but I will now. The number is 573-233-1335. That's 573-233-1335. Um, you can go online. You can go online. Mm-hmm. Where? On the church's website. What? I love typing. I'm going to do that. Okay. I think there's one more, right? That was three. Mm-hmm. What's the fourth? And the version app. version app. The mm-hmm. version Bible app. Yes. I use that. You can give your offering on that? Yeah. What? Oh. In person, online, in the version Bible app, or by texting. Thank you for watching Jocelyn and Jocelyn. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jocelyn. And I'm Jocelyn. <laughs> Good night. Wait, no, it's he was the one. We all thought he was the one. Everyone did. There was a party and we were all, we were all there and, and some woman comes in and she has a bottle of perfume, expensive perfume, and she just pours it all over him. She did that because she thought he was the one. What a waste. We could have sold that perfume and used the money for a greater purpose. I tried to tell him as much. But he came back at me insinuating that he was the purpose. Even so, I believed he was the one. I believed that he was going to turn everything upside down. I, I, I just, I just knew it. I mean, people would have followed him anywhere. All he had to do was just say the word, but he wouldn't say the word. Instead, my time has not yet come.
That's what he would say over and over to me. My time has not yet come. Are you kidding me? He was raising people from the dead for crying out loud. He was healing the blind, producing food out of thin air. My time has not yet come. So I forced his hand. I made his time come. Things needed to push, and I was the only one that had the courage to do it. We were all up there eating. We were all up there. He looks across the table to me, and he says, get on with it. How, how did he know what I was going to do? about the money. It was not about the money. It's just when you have that kind of power that he has, why wouldn't you leverage it to forward, to forward the agenda? People listen to him. You know the sound a wave makes after it hits the shore? And how quiet it gets after a few seconds when it stops. That was Jesus. When he spoke, it was like a, a rolling wave. And the crowd's listening. They were the hush at the end of the wave. Because when he spoke and you were there in his presence, there was no doubt in anyone's mind he was the one. I done good morning we are um, starting a new series and I don't want you to forget about who's your one Continue your 30-day prayer time should have come to an end, but but that doesn't mean you don't continue to pray for the people that you are praying for in order to see them saved. And in fact, we will continue to push that throughout the year. But uh, we are moving into a new series. I think is very timely. That's called Finding Jesus. And you might say, well, he's right behind you. He's up on the wall there. Uh, but um, but you know the it's easy to find symbols of Jesus. It's easy to find things that remind us of Jesus. It's easy to find the name Jesus in the Bible. But what I'm talking about is when we are going through times, very much like the times we're going through right now, and you begin to question, 
where is God in all of this? And, and, and I know people say to me all the time, God is everywhere, and, uh, and, he's, and, and he is. He's very obviously, and, and some people pick up on it, I see God in this, and I can see God in that. But we're getting to a time now, I, I think when this, when this pandemic began, it was extremely distant from us. It was one of those things that you hear of a few people who are infected, and, and but they're people that aren't connected to us. But when it came to our country, then all of a sudden it became more real. Now we are getting to a time where you may even know someone who is infected. And if you don't know someone, you know someone who knows someone. And soon it will, there will come a time when you'll know somebody who actually dies from this virus. And in times like this, that is when, when it becomes something helpless. I was listening to the testimony of a nurse in Michigan, and she was talking about how she'd been called in to help and, and how she was being given a text, how she gave the last respirator they had available to the last patient she cared for, and yet there were more still coming in who needed respirators. And she said, we're getting to a time when we're deciding who is going to live and who is going to die. Now, that's not the first time in history that we've ever been faced with situations like that where we didn't have enough medicine, where we didn't have enough facilities, where we didn't have enough equipment to take care of everyone who had a need. We've faced those dilemmas before. We've just not faced them in our lifetimes. We've not faced them in our specific circumstances. So you, you may have gone through something similar to that at some point or another, but in our society today, that is a very rare thing. It is a very rare thing to not be able to get medicine, to not be able to get care. And, and we're used to that. To face that type of circumstance makes us go, well, what in the world is going on? When we read through the Bible, we see these things all the time. You see, you see plagues come through, and you see massive uh, issues amongst people. You see all types of things confront people. You read about tribulation and times like that, and, and you think, well, yeah, these are things that are going to happen. But when you're experiencing it, when it's happening in your world, when it's going on in your community— I remember when I was in seminary and, and we'd have people from other countries come and tell us about the plight that was going on in their countries. It was almost surreal that those things actually happen in places in the world. And, and we are so immune from it here in this country that now going through some of it, it catches us unprepared. It has us in a place where we begin to ask questions. And if you're not asking questions now, you're going to ask questions. And so... In this series, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at one of the most crisis moments in the life of Jesus and his disciples and see where Jesus is in all those circumstances. And I pray, my prayer is, is that we, we, as we look and see that Jesus is always there, it's never a question that he's not there, but sometimes it's like he's asleep in the boat. And we know he's there, but it seems like he's not doing anything or that he doesn't care. Now, we know that's not true, but looking at the Word and examining what God's Word said to us, I think, brings some of the greatest comfort, some of the greatest truths, because there's tons of information out there right now, an overflow of information from all kinds of different sources, and people throwing up charts and graphs, and one doctor saying this, and another expert saying this, and this politician saying this, and another one saying that, and, and, you're, and you may be vacillating. You may believe one thing. Somebody said, I, I'm constantly stuck in a state of being under thinking I'm underreacting and overreacting at the same time, and I keep going back and forth and sometimes experience that emotion simultaneously. 
That may be where you are today. And, it's, and it is because of this complete flood of information. This is when it's incredibly important to remember we have the truth. And the truth is always available to us. The truth is always present with us. The truth is a person. And so as we look to this person, the person of Jesus, we begin to understand what he meant the whole time. What he really means when he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. What he means when he, when he says he is the healer, when he is the great physician. What he means when he says he is the bread of life. When grocery store shelves are empty, then it's good to know that Jesus is the bread of life. Today, we are looking specifically in the garden. This is kind of the turning point. This is the turning point for the disciples because you have this celebration dinner, and they all get together, and they're all having this wonderful meal. And if you think about it, they don't know anything about what's going to happen. Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen, but they're oblivious to what's getting ready to take place. So if you can imagine that something really, really bad is getting ready to happen, and you're right on the crux of it, but you're completely unaware of it. The garden is this place. I mean, they go there. Jesus is sweating drops of blood and praying and, and completely anguished. The disciples are sleeping. Because it's like, this is, we do this all the time. It's a place they went to all the time. They would go to the garden, and Jesus would pray, and they're all worn out. You know, it's kind of like that post-Christmas celebration or post-Easter. You've worked hard. You've done through all this. You've talked about some stressful things. It's kinda, it was kind of a weird moment, and now we're just all kind of glad it's over. And now we're just tired and resting. And Jesus is upset about something. We don't really know what it is, but he's always pretty intense. And so he's off praying, and he tells us to stay awake and to watch, but we're just tired. And that's, that's where the disciples were. They just fell asleep. That's the setting. And then all of a sudden enters in this group of soldiers led by, not led, but with one of the disciples, and everything changes. And we see how the disciples freak out, overreact, and, and a lot of them do a lot of wrong things. We're not going to examine what they do wrong as much as we're going to look at what Jesus does right. And remember, we are called to follow him. We're not going to ask, what would Jesus do? We're going to look at, what did Jesus do? And then we're going to ask, what are we going to do? Highlighting that Jesus is not hard to find. In difficult times. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's easy to find. He's actually always where we expect him to be. But what do we do when we find him? So let's look at John 18, 1 through 11, and let's look at Jesus in the garden. The word says, After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, 
Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. Lord, it is so important to us during these uncertain times. Lord, I just pray for your people. Pray for all of us, Lord, as we look to you for guidance, as we look to you for strength. May we get our cues. May we get our instructions. May we get our directives. May we follow your leadership in these uncertain times. May we trust you. May we believe in you. Father, reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, we all have familiar places. I don't know if you have a, um, a place where you uh, watch TV every night, but a lot of people have a certain place, a certain routines, a certain places, certain, certain places you sit at church. Um, I can look out at these chairs this morning, and I can visualize where people are because you pretty much sit in the same region. Some of you like to mix it up a little bit, but I know the ones who like to mix it up a little bit and, and can kind of even predict where you're going to mix it up because we are creatures of habit. We like to do things that are familiar. We go to get coffee at a certain place. We like to hunt in certain places, fish in certain places. We like to study in certain places. Hopefully, there's places where you like to pray in a specific location. And Jesus had a specific location like that. He had a specific place. The Garden of Gethsemane was located close to city walls. It was within the distance that he could go without breaking the Sabbath laws. So he could go outside the city. You were only allowed to take so many steps on the Sabbath. They were really strict about their, their not working thing. Uh, and, and so on the Sabbath, he, it, was, it was close enough where he could go and still pray. And it was a holy time as they were celebrating the Passover. And so he went to this place to pray. And again, it was a familiar place. If you knew Jesus and you were looking for him, you would know where to go. You would know where to look. And, and that's true for us a lot of times. If you know somebody really well and somebody says, hey, have you seen so-and-so? And you know that person really well. Go, I haven't seen them, but I could, it's this time on this particular day. I can pretty much guess where they are because we are creatures of habit. And we like to do things that are familiar to us. Look with me in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 3 again. It says, after Jesus had said these things. Now, this is after he's had this very intimate moment. Now, we get this story in the other three Gospels, but John takes us into a much deeper version here. He's, he's saying to us here, I, I want to show you really what was taking place on that night before he died. In John, John chapters 14, 15, and 16, we get some of those intimate discussion from Christ you'll find anywhere else in Scripture. And then in chapter 17, he actually prays for his disciples and then prays for all future believers. So we are actually included in this prayer of Jesus. And then after he had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, which is just outside the walls of Jerusalem, where there was a garden. Now, it's not like a garden, like a vegetable garden. This is a garden of trees. It's just a, a bunch of olive trees uh, that uh, that's still, there's a, 
garden similar to it in the Holy Land today that they can take you to, and they'll tell you that the roots of the trees that are there are growing out of the roots of the trees that were there when Jesus was there because that's what they get paid to do. Uh, not that that's important. It's just important that there were trees there, and that's where Jesus went to get alone to pray. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas has gone to get, and he already knows what Jesus is going to be doing. It's not a mystery. They're not having to go on some wide search. Everybody knows, or at least his, his disciples know, where he's going to be, and Judas, being one of his disciples, knows. So it says, so Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So Judas has, for the cost of 30 pieces of silver, offered his services to the people who want to see Jesus destroyed. And so he goes out and says to them, um, I will take you where he is. He gets some officials, some chief priest, uh, some soldiers, so it's a company of soldiers, company of Jewish officials and so forth, guards of the temple, probably around 200 people. Other gospels say a mob. So a bunch of angry people coming out to seek Jesus. Now, why in the world are there 200 people? Because he's Jesus. The thing that's running through Judas's mind at this point, none of us knows. All we can gather is, is kind of like in the video we watched earlier, is that he felt like Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. He had built himself up to be this. So if he is, if he is the Messiah, he either is or he isn't. Judas was a zealot. He had, and, and zealots were people who had this desire to see the Jewish kingdom prevail over the Roman Empire. They were tired of being under Roman oppression. They were looking for the Messiah to be the answer, to be the one to say, finally, we are going to be who we are supposed to be. This is the answer. If you can think of Judas today, Judas today is any person who is looking for somebody, someone to help them to become who they always dreamed or thought they should be. Looking for the answer in some type of political answer. This, this is when we get caught up in the politics of our world or, or we get a career or we get this idea that education or that money or that political power, that these are the answers to our problems. And if we can just get the right people in the right place doing the right thing, then we will finally get to be who we desire to be, what we desire to do. And when those people don't do what we want them to be or don't do what we want them to do or they aren't who we want them to be, then we turn on them because it's not about us loving them or respecting them or honoring them. It's just simply about I have an agenda. I'm going to use you to get my agenda fulfilled. And if you don't accomplish my agenda, then I don't have any more use for you. And so here's the first question I want to ask us this morning. When you find Jesus... When you find him in that familiar place, when you go to that place that you always know he is, 
whether it be in a church service or a Bible study or in a friend, the places where we know Jesus is when we pray, when we call out to him. We all know how to find Jesus. But when we find him, let me ask you, will you obey him or will you betray him? What is the intent in your heart when you discover actually where he is and what he's doing? If you actually, because I've had people come to me and they say, I, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I remember somebody coming to me and saying, hey, I want to know what God is saying to me and, and what his direction is for me. And, and I told them, here's what the word says. And I remember them getting angry of what the word says. And it was like, well, I'm not going to do that. It, they were involved at the time it was a person involved in an immoral relationship and I said let's read what God's word has to say and I said I th he would have you to end this immoral relationship and it's like no not doing that that's not what I want and you see we found Jesus it wasn't a question of where he was it was just a question of that I have no intention of the person had no intention of obeying him in fact, had every intention of betraying him, of betraying him. When I hear people who talk about the church and trash the church and say, and when people leave churches and say, I hate, this is what's wrong with that church. And here until all the litany of things, this is, this church did this and this church did that and this church did all the different things or whatever. Most of the time when we are trashing a church and, and, and telling all the horrible things about it, it's just simply because we didn't get what we wanted. And instead of seeing it as an opportunity to lift up the church in prayer, to seek or intercede on, in, on behalf of that church to God and ask God for healing for that church, it's more of, I'm just going to destroy it verbally, tear that person down. When you see Jesus, will you obey or betray? Second thing, we have a fearless faith here. A fearless faith. When I think of fearless faith, the very first image that comes to my mind are my children, and not just my children, most children, because they have this incredible trust in their parents. And when kids trust their parents, they do crazy things. They will jump from places that nobody should ever jump from. They will dive into things they should never dive into. They will just run toward danger with every confidence that their parents will not allow anything bad to happen to them. And you have the parents, of course, screaming and yelling and, and sometimes going crazy and so forth. But there are those moments that it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice when I, I remember when my kids were little and, and one of them would climb up to the top of a very tall, uh, they were so confident going up that, that sliding board. It was way taller than anything they'd ever done. But they were just saw other kids up there. They wanted to do it. They started up those stairs, boom, 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 and they got to the top and then they freaked out. Very first thing out of their mouth is, Daddy. And it wasn't that quiet. It was a daddy. And looking. And then there I am. Now, I seem like a giant at this time because I can reach up to the top of the sliding board. I can just reach up. That's, it wasn't that tall. And so I can just reach up and, and say, come on. And then they jump off into my arms because it was safer to jump into my arms than to go down the slide. Now think about that. Think about 
You're at a place where you're terrified to go down a slide, but you're not terrified to jump into your father's arms. That's fearless faith. This is the type of faith that Jesus had. Jesus had a fearless faith. He was a, a person who could go into places that nobody else would go into. He, he touched lepers. He would, go, he would be around people with leprosy, and he wasn't afraid of people with leprosy. They could touch him. Now, he had a physical body just like you and I have a physical body. And this isn't saying that we should just go around and touch, but he, had, he was doing what his father wanted him to do. I faced this when we were uh, traveling, and we were in a hospital in South Asia, and, and we were going into this hospital room. It helped me to understand when they're talking about the, the plight of healthcare in other countries, especially in India and places like that. I've been in those hospitals. I know what they're talking about. When you go into our hospitals, you, have, you go into an intensive care unit, and you, and you have all these different machines and all these different things. Even in the most, uh, the most basic hospital rooms, you have all types of equipment. This was a room with 20 beds on each side. Now, they're beds like you would see at an old summer camp. They were just cots, basically, springs with a mattress on it. No equipment whatsoever. I mean, nothing electronic. I don't know that there was an outlet in the room. And there was a person laying in each bed. And there were just nurses that would go up and down and tend to them. And they're just laying there. There's no blankets. There's nobody with a sheet over the top of them. You just have a person laying on a mattress. That was the hospital. And when we got there, I asked, what's wrong with all these people? And they told me, they all have typhoid fever. I can remember thinking back to when we were getting vaccinations and thinking on the list, Suggested was to get that typhoid fever and, uh, and immunization, and myself rationalizing, mm, what are the odds that I'm going to run into somebody with typhoid fever and thinking, that's just one extra shot I don't want to have to deal with. I think it was an oral vaccine, actually, or something, but it was just like, it was a little bit more difficult to get than the other ones, and so I said, I'm just, I don't need that. So I got my other immunizations and went, and there I am. That's the very first thought that enters your mind when they say, this is the typhoid fever wing. So I'm just saying, that's the first thing that pops in your head is, I have not been immunized for this disease. But the pastor with me starts immediately to go and embrace all the people in this bed and ask me to come and pray for them and lay hands on them and pray for them. And all I could do is just pray to God, God, this is your moment. You brought me here. I didn't seek this out. I didn't desire to come here. These people are hanging out. And they're, and they're Muslim people. And they're Muslim people who are asking for me to pray to Jesus for their healing. And I couldn't I could not do it. And so I did. But the only reason I was able to do it was because of the faith of the guy that I was with. He had no fear. He had this fearless faith where he walked into. And it wasn't just his faith. It was the faith of so many people who come before me. So many stories of people of faith who'd walked in. Ultimately, the faith of Jesus himself. But so many countless people who knew, who said, when you're in that moment, when you're in that situation where God asks you to do something and you, and, you would, and you normally would be terrified, that you walk in. Because, and I've said this before, fear is the enemy of faith. But the opposite of that is true as well. Faith is the conqueror of fear. And when we stepped forward into that room, it was amazing how God just took over. And I just did what God asked me to do and then left. Now, I'm going to tell you, after I left, I sanitized my hands like there was no tomorrow. But I, I, in the moment, I was able to get through that. And there's nothing special about me in that. I just want you to understand that 
strength, that power for all of us comes from Christ. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit's in all of us. And before you are, if before you are quick to say, I would never do that, I would never, ever, ever do that, I'm going to tell you, I would have said the same thing. Except in that moment, when we look to Jesus and we find him, we realize Jesus has no fear. Jesus has no fear. Look in this, this next verse, next few verses. Verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him. Hear that. That is a powerful statement. The disciples are oblivious. Jesus, knowing everything, knowing he is going to be arrested, knowing he is going to be scourged, knowing he is going to be given a cross to carry up Golgotha, knowing they're going to nail his hands and feet, knowing he is going to be crucified, humiliated, and agonizingly die in front of everybody. Knowing that, went out and said to them, he does not run. He goes to them and said, who is it that you're seeking? Who is it that you're seeking? They don't even know who he is. Now we know from the other Gospels that Judas is going to identify him. But sometimes we get this picture in our head that that Jesus is hiding and Judas finds him and kisses him and then that's how they know. No, Jesus is going Jesus is revealing himself. Before Judas ever has the opportunity to kiss him, to identify who he is, Jesus comes out in the open. Who is that? Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answer, as they're looking at the different people who are there. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus told them. Never once, no riddles, no questions, just a direct, I am the one you are looking for. Now I know a lot of, uh, it says Judas who betrayed him was also standing with them. John's gospel doesn't even record Judas kissing him because John didn't feel it was even relevant to the moment and what he's trying to show about Jesus. John's just saying, if you're getting the picture that Judas is the one who sought him out, and that's not how it happened. Jesus revealed himself, said, here I am, with no fear, complete faith. He's already wrestled with, this is what my father wants me to do, this is what I'm going to do. Now, a lot of people make light of or, or make a big deal about the words, I am he, and that uh, the word that he's a reference to, I am. And it is a great I am statement, and I don't want to take away from that at all. But sometimes I think we focus on things like that so much, I think we miss the power of the moment in this divine revelation that he is not, I don't think they at the time were saying, oh, he is revealing himself to be God. I think they're just simply realizing he's revealing himself to be him, who he claimed to be. Now, before I read this next verse, I want you to think about something, because this, this is something that's always troubled me. I, I, I remember, um, well, let me read it. It says, when Jesus told them, I am he, 
they stepped back and fell to the ground. Now, I um, remember um, watching Lord of the Rings, and at the beginning of the very first movie, they show kind of a backstory of when Sauron had the power, ring of power, and he goes out and his evil self, and all these armies come up against him, and he makes one uh, when the when the uh, and he's fighting and so forth, and has the power to knock people down, but. When the ring of power is taken from him and Sauron is destroyed, all the armies fall down. Just like a big wave just knocks everybody down. I remember watching that thinking, I wonder if that's what it was like when Jesus said, I am he. The sheer force of his words knocks everybody down. This is one of those moments, again, when you read the other Gospels and you don't see this and, and you're kind of trying to figure out, why is John highlighting this here? I think this is what's so important about this. And some... And Carefully, how the word, how it said, it says they stepped back and then they fell down. Because here's, here's kind of my take on this, and and so anyway, I'm your pastor, so you're just going to listen to it. But uh, I, you know, when if you're again, I'm I'm really geeking myself out of here because I'm going to go into the Marvel universe now that I've talked on Lord of the Rings. But um, but when you're talking about superheroes and so forth, and when you go to get a superhero, uh, you take a big army with you. Now, remember I said earlier, probably over 200 people. It could be up to 600 people that Judas has going with him. It wasn't because they all needed, they thought there were going to be a lot of disciples there. I want you to think about it for a second. Jesus has a reputation. He has a reputation for healing people, walking on water, raising people from the dead. In this time frame... He is a God. Think about Roman soldiers and how they, what they believe. And, and even though they have this pantheon of gods believing in Zeus and, and, and uh, Mercury and all these different people and uh, all the different Greek gods. Apollo. Think of how this person, there's, they've heard stories. This is the God-man. Could you not be just a little afraid? <laughs> Even though you got a bunch of people and you're walking up, you're kind of cautious saying, which one of you is Jesus? Because stories may have been circulating that when we go here, this guy has the power of God. He may strike us dead. He may knock us. Who knows what's going to happen? Things get built up like that. And so when they see him and say, he comes out to them. Again, that boldness, that fearless faith as he comes out to them. Who are you looking for? And they're answering, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. When he says, I am he, they go backwards and possibly out of just sheer fear and terror of who he is, fall down. But I believe it's more than that. I believe it's the sheer revelation that he is When we come into the presence of God, I mean, when we come into the presence of somebody of authority and power, we're already shake a little bit. I am um, going back to my kids and so forth. My kids are pretty brazen and bold when I'm not there, and, and somewhat like that now. But um, but especially when they were little, you know, they would 
be like, I'm in charge, no, I'm in charge, no, I'm in charge, no, I'm in charge, and argue back and forth or whatever. But then dad steps into the room. Boldness is quelled. (laughs) I remember my youngest one time questioning that authority or whatever. The other three didn't do anything. They just hid their heads in fear of what was getting ready to happen to him because they're like, dad's going to kill him as a display of authority. That's how he's going to show that this is... And I didn't kill him. He just wished he had died uh, in that process. But there was this moment of establishing authority in our home. Now, with God, that's what he does. That's who he's established. Jesus is simply establishing. You know who you think I am? I'm even greater than that. And in this moment of not flinching, not backing down, an entire army coming against him, when you have a person who comes out to you with that, I am not afraid of you, even Pilate, the governor, was scared of Jesus because he had a fearless faith and he has he is God and when God is present there's no mistaking it when you see the power of Jesus being manifested you know it's the power of Jesus that's what you know when I was young and so forth and I, I remember I was uh, I, I surrendered to the ministry about 15 different times during my childhood all during thunderstorms uh, because it would be this, I would be terrified of a tornado watch or whatever, and, and then a storm coming in. I remember, I think the particular moment I surrendered to the ministry is there was an apple tree that was outside my window, and lightning struck that apple tree and, and burnt a limb off of it. I remember, I mean, just a bolt of lightning. That was when I was like, okay, God, whatever you need, whatever you want, you've got it. I'm, I'm prepared to follow you the rest of my life or whatever. Because we, we when in these manifestations of power, we are terrified of him. He's not terrified of us. And so when you face this, when you face Jesus, when you realize who he is, let me ask you this question. Will you bow down? Or will you fall away? Because here's what I see in this passage. I see people who are afraid of him afraid of his power, and when they realize who he is, they are trying to get away from him. They fall back. People who know him and love him may go down on their knees, but they bow down toward him. So are you bowing toward him? When you realize it is Jesus, when you see the power of God manifested, when you see the power of God displayed in all the events that are happening in the world around us, when, when your life begins to crumble apart and God says, I will not be mocked, I am the Lord, do you try to get away? Or do you bow down and say, yes, you are the Lord. You are my God. And finally, he is a saving shepherd. I remember years ago a guy, when I first heard the expression, um, it was a mom who was pretty uptight about her kids. And this is when our, I don't know if we even had kids at the time. 
But he just said, you never get between a mama bear and her cubs. And he was talking about this woman who was very defensive of her children. My wife is a mama bear and has cubs. And I have, if I didn't know, if I didn't believe that expression then, I believe it now that you do not get between a mama bear and her cubs. I know this in reality because I've actually seen a mama bear, a real bear, and her cubs. And Ranger's going, uh, don't be a moron and go out there and take pictures of the baby cubs or the mama bear will come and maul you and destroy you. So that's the actual reference. But then when you're talking about it with moms who are just incredibly passionate and defensive, and and it's an amazing thing to see a mom who just completely forgets about herself. When she sees her children in danger or something threatening, that she will put herself between a bullet and her children, anything between her and her children, she comes in between and she is ready to destroy, tear apart, rip apart anything that is threatening the well-being of her kids. What's truly heartbreaking is when kids grow up and don't want that protection anymore. When parents try to protect their kids, want to offer help, the kids are like, I don't want want it, don't need it. When they don't trust us, or they don't believe we're capable of helping them or saving them. This is the picture, though, of Jesus in this moment. I want you to see, as we read through these verses, Jesus stepping between the enemy and his children. In verse 7, it says, Then he asked them again, Who is it that you're seeking? They've composed themselves. Jesus of Nazareth, he said, they said. That's, again, that just goes to show how rattled they are. <laughs> he has to ask him again. They repeat it again. He says, I told you. I am he, Jesus replied. And, and make no mistake, he is in control of the situation. I was watching The Passion of the Christ again just to kind of get a reference point for this. I think, not to make anything belittle Mel Gibson's film, but I think he missed this moment entirely in his portrayal because he portrayed this group of thugs or whatever and Jesus being there and coming out and all these people angry and confident and so forth. I don't believe that was the scene at all. I believe the confidence rested in Christ. I believe that's why John wrote it this way. I believe that's why he gives it to us, that the confidence was in Jesus. Nobody else is confident. Nobody else knows what to do in this situation except Jesus. He says, then he asked him again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He says, I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. So he, he says, just take me. Now, now listen, think about that. I mean, if you're in a situation like that, do you think that if they really had authority and power that Jesus would dictate to them what to do. It's like, well, you don't tell us what to do, buddy. We're here. We're going to arrest whoever we want to arrest. We're going to take whoever we want to take. But they're not in control. They do not have authority. Jesus has the authority. And it says, this was to fulfill the words that he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, this is where we come in. This is us late to the game. 
We've been sleeping, not paying attention, didn't do what Jesus asked us to do, don't know what to do under the circumstances. We have not been praying, asking God for guidance and strength to deal with the situation. And so when the moment comes, we just cut to our basic instincts. What's the most fleshly thing I can do right now? It's save the day. Save the day. And this is where we come in. We put that cape on and we put our hands on our hips and we're like, I got this. I'm going to do something. And this is where churches and pastors and well-meaning people and people in the community and political leaders, this is where we all go awry. Because none of us is asking what God wants to do or what God needs us to do. We should have been praying and spending time with him before the crisis so that we'd be prepared to do what in, to do what in the crisis. So when we come late to the game, we just have a gut reaction. And because of our fallen nature, our gut reaction is almost always wrong. And Peter's like, I'm not going to let this happen. Can't let this happen. Pulls the sword out. Starts to take off Malchus's head and cuts his ear off. And Jesus says, stop. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away you don't you don't know what's happening here and then he even says am I not to drink the cup the father has given me this is and this is where now it's going to go almost straight into Peter denying Christ I mean this is a again everybody's caught off guard nobody knows what to do nobody knows how to handle the situation except Jesus. In these moments, it is Jesus who knows. Now that, so when everything's falling apart and crisis and your flesh is reacting, and when you see Jesus, here's the question. When you hear the truth of him, when you hear the truth from Christ, will you flee? Will you run because you're terrified? You see him, you hear him, you see what's going on? You see how the situation's falling apart? Looks like everything's gone into chaos. Looks like God is asleep at the wheel. Will you run? Will you fight? Nobody's going to say that about my Jesus. Nobody's going to say that. You know, it's like when a, a movie came out called The Last Temptation of Christ and, and people freaked out over it and said, we're going to go to war. You know, this is when we go to abortion clinics and we see what's happening. So we're going to blow up the abortion clinic. You know, these are, the, these are our best reactions. This is not necessarily a word from the Lord. This is us just having a gut reaction to the injustice of the world, to all to when we see things when it looks like the church is falling. I remember going on a mission trip to uh, when uh, Hurricane Katrina was happening, and I got on the bus. We're taking supplies to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I get on the bus and I see in one of the duffel bags a nine millimeter pistol, and I said, um, "What's the gun for?" Are we giving out guns to people when we get down there? What, what's, what's the plan? And the driver of the bus looked at me and said, I said, I said, we don't really need to take a weapon. And he says, I'm not worried about me, preacher. But if somebody tries to do something to you, I just want you to know I will take them out. To which I said, please do me a favor. Just let them take me out. <laughs> Because I do not want to come back from a mission trip saying, yeah, we took all these supplies and we killed five bystanders to protect ourselves. That is not really the message we are trying to communicate here. 
That's a message of fear, not of faith. Now, we didn't shoot anybody on that trip. I will, just if you're curious, nobody died. But it does reveal something about our base instinct. Again, wasn't a thought out thing, wasn't a prayed through thing. I didn't say, if, you know, I didn't, I didn't quiz him on this, I already knew the answer. In your quiet time this week, as you were spending time with the Lord and reading His Word and journaling, did the Lord speak to you through that time and said, be sure and take a 9 millimeter with you if you're ever asked to go on a mission trip? Did that ever happen? No. It's a gut reaction. There's a lot of things going on down there. Don't know what's going to happen. How am I going to protect us? How am I going to defend my preacher? I'm going to take a 9 millimeter. That'll solve it. You see what I'm talking about? That's a Peter reaction. That's what happens here with Jesus. That's a fight. We either run or we fight or will you just simply say, I'm going to trust him to save me. I'm going to trust him to save me. That's almost like saying, well, it is like saying, I'm going to do nothing. And I'm just going to trust God to take care of me. That's a tough thing to do. When my dad had cancer, he chose to trust the doctor. He, he went to a doctor and said, what do I do? And the doctor said, here's the best course of treatment. It was pancreatic cancer. He said it had a very low survival rate. And he said, but here's the plan that you follow through. And my father, who's a knowledgeable person, pretty savvy, did not say, I don't trust you, doctor, and I listen to you. He simply said, okay, we'll do what you say. I'm going to follow this plan. And he did it. Everything as he said he needed to do, he followed those instructions to the letter. But it didn't save him. He still died. Because here's the thing. You can do everything right that people tell you to do. People can't save you. Only Jesus saves us. That was true before this virus came on the scene. It'll be true after the virus leaves the scene. It's true all the time for all eternity. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus has the power to heal us eternally. So no matter what happens to me, no matter what disease I catch, no matter what cancer, what heart disease, whatever is going to take this body, something's going to take on this toll, this body of mine, it is appointed to me to die. This body cannot go into heaven. God has already told me that. He has to give me another one. So at some point, i got to get rid of this one. Not prematurely, as Paul said, to live as Christ. I use this one to accomplish his purpose, to surrender it. I give it to him. I say, Lord, here is this body. Take it, just like the boy with the five loaves and two fishes. I'm giving him all I got. So you take it, use it, glorify yourself with it, and I'm trusting you. When you're done with it, you will save me. 
because I can't save myself, and there's no one else who can save me. You and you alone can save me. No doctor can save me. No hospital can save me. No government can save me. Only Jesus has the power to save. So let me ask you this final question. Will you obey him? Will you bow down to him? Will you be saved by him? Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are and the grace that you show us each and every day. And Lord, just pray, Lord, that you would save us. Save us from our fears. Save us from our gut reactions. Lord, save us when we have the desire to run. Save us when we have the desire to fight. Lord, may we trust you, follow you, and simply look to you as our source of hope. May we not fall away. May we bow down toward you and trust you as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, and thank you for taking this time to worship with us. We are planning to put together some content for children, so be looking for that. We want to have a moment for Children's Church, a moment for Junior Church. As we put that together, we'll get it available to you so uh, you can have time for the kids um, and something that they can enjoy and, and some learning interaction there. Look forward to the, doing that, and uh, so be praying for us as we got a lot of things going on. If you're watching this and think, oh my goodness, I tuned in at the very end. Uh, don't worry, you can rewind it all the way back to the beginning, or you can just start anew. It'll be available uh, for you to watch uh, from the beginning, uh, later today, whenever you feel like it. But God bless you guys, and let me just pray us out and pray a prayer of protection for all of us. You all take.
care, be safe, and, uh, and we will meet together again soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. We pray for Daniel to feel better and, and Lord, just uh, to get over this uh, cold that he has. And, Lord, just pray that uh, you would help us to um, be faithful to you in everything that we do and say. And, uh, and, Lord, help us not to be afraid. Lord, there's so much fear that's being cast into our lives Lord, help us to be confident in you. May we be wise. Don't let us be crazy and test you. Lord, when Satan took you out and, and said to throw yourself down off the pinna, uh, pinnacle of the temple, Lord, you said uh, that we are not to test our God. So, Lord, may we not test you by doing stupid things. But, Lord, may we be wise and careful, but ultimately believing that our welfare is in your hands. May we trust you and believe in you and worship you, not just now, but to all throughout the week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.